Are you a sugar butter and a squeeze of lemon juice kind of person or are you a Nutella person? Oh, God. No butter. Sugar and lemon first. No butter. Great. Yeah. Well, I'll be okay with that. I will. Enchanté. Bonjour, I'm Andrew Pryor, and this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that brings you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food. Whether they're here in France, like me, or around the world, each week we dive into a specific topic, a French dish, an ingredient, or French cuisine cooking technique, and we learn about it from a special guest who's an expert on that topic. My guests are all about French food. Either they cook it, they produce it, talk right, or photograph it. But above all, they love it. So come, join me each week as my motto in life is, whatever you do, do it fabulously. And that's why this podcast is not just about delicious French food, but French food that's fabulously delicious. Bon app, everybody. Emma Duckworth, thanks for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Absolutely, absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Before we talk all things crepes, I wanted to get to know you a bit better. Um, you were actually born in London, but you grew up and lived in the Philippines, Hong Kong and India. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Uh, had a very uh, interesting childhood. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> what was that experience like as a child? It must have been like a big adventure. Oh, look, it's, I mean, I guess it's when all you know, it's it's part of your your upbringing, it's part of who you are and how, you, how you're raised. And uh, so, yeah, my dad lived, uh, worked for Avon Cosmetics for his whole career, which brought us to all these fabulous places. And uh, and basically from from when I think we first moved to the Philippines when I was two, so um, from a young age, that's we, we lived abroad and we travelled and uh, I think I'd say 10 um, when that's when I went to boarding school in the UK so uh, we did we always had a home in the UK uh, to, just to have that sort of grounding and then dad did work in the UK on and off but it was so we moved around a lot it was uh, it wasn't sort of live in one place your whole childhood existence for me <laughs> of all that uh, traveling around then as a child what was your favorite place um, I'd say Hong Kong is, was when I was, we lived there twice actually, so when I was in primary school, but then also a bit later on from when I was about 10 to 16, I'd say. Um, so that is the, as your formative years of growing up and getting independent and it was a very safe place to be. So, it, you know, we had a lot of friends where we lived, we could travel to the little places around by ourselves. So. In terms of that, it was a fantastic place, and uh, we were part of the big American expat community, so um, probably that one. Uh, India was when we were a bit older, so um, when was I about sort of 17 to a bit of a couple, we lived there maybe five years um, as a family, we lived there, but then I was at um, a school and then university, so I wouldn't say I lived there as such, it was every holidays I'd go out there or whatnot, so... It was slightly different, whereas in Hong Kong, it was sort of every single school holiday, we would, my brother and I would get on the plane and go and, and spend time there. So, As an adult, have you then been back to Hong Kong? 
No, wow. not to any of the places actually. So really? as an adult, yeah, because then I left school, went to university, and then went straight to Australia, and then it was fifteen years in Australia. So right, that's amazing to think that you haven't gone back as an adult. Yeah, um, yeah, I would love to. I mean, it's changed a lot apparently, but um, still, you do you want to go and revisit those places for nostalgia's sake, don't you? So maybe one day. Who cooked at home when you were growing up? Uh, my mother, because Dad travelled all the time so and he was always in a plane and and flying around everywhere so she was when we were at home outside boarding school she was the constant cook and she's french is that right she is french and dad is english so whereabouts in france is she from uh asia which is in between bordeaux and toulouse and then lotigahan region so the southwest france so she she grew up there. My grandmother's still there, ninety six, so still going strong. Was your mum influenced uh, in her cooking by living in these different countries whilst you were growing up, etc.? Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So as much as she had the French influence, um, because she loved cooking and was a fantastic cook um, and loved entertaining, and you know it was the era of dinner parties, and um, she one hundred percent brought in those influences into her everyday cooking. So she learned to cook Chinese and really well and still does. Chinese food has some spice to it. Uh, Indian food certainly does. Did she embrace the spice? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's what we grew up with. So, you know, what we were eating as children and, and getting used to was quite advanced compared to the standard kid. <laughs> It wasn't chicken nuggets and chips at home. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> so on that note, what was your favourite thing that your mum used to cook? Oh, I was a, um, uh, definitely wonton soup was always a favourite, and I still cook it with my children now. We all love it. Um, and uh, Szechuan prawns or lemon chicken or, you know, uh, fried, wok fried uh, bok choy or choy sam. Um all these Asian Asian influences that she would she would cook. I mean, she she uh, and she also gave me the cookbook. But she grew up watching Ken Hom, who was a famous English Chinese chef. Um, so whenever in England, we'd always be watching his shows on TV, and that's where that's where we sort of all learnt to cook Chinese, as well as you know through friends of hers in Hong Kong. But that gave her a good grounding. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, I had a very um, a very advanced palace, I'd say, as a child growing up with uh, eating those sort of flavours and chilli. I could, I could stand it a lot better then than I can now. I, absolutely. There was a point where they were like, stop putting chilli on everything. <laughs> you don't need it. You'll kill your palate. <laughs> I am so je- super jealous. I mean, all we had was beef and black bean sauce. And yeah. mum didn't even cook that. <laughs> she got it from the takeaway. Um, so you, you're now in London, but you actually moved there from Australia. So why did you end up living in Australia? Uh, backpacking. After university, did the very stereotypical one year out there uh, with my best friend, did the travel up and down the East Coast as, they, as we all did, <laughs> and, um, then landed in Manly, which is in Sydney, um, and, uh, and then fell in love with a local boy. Oh, not Australian. So, yeah, I know. Australian. Yes, oh. absolutely. And, and the rest is history. Right. There we go. And did you and end so, up living in Manly? Yes. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So you, was he a surfy? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, thought you missed that now. But, yeah, so met Anthony and, uh, and then we obviously fell in love. We came back to the UK for a year because I wasn't quite ready just to, like, leave everything, you know, round up my life. Um, and then... Well, I, I did actually, 
when I was traveling around Australia, I was, I was like, okay, this is an amazing country. I really want to live here somehow. And it was at the end of that that I'd met Anthony. So it was um, pure luck, really. Uh, and lucky that it all worked out. And then we traveled, we went back to Australia and, and it was 15 years later. You stay there the whole time. So very lucky. What's your favorite thing about Australia? Uh, the laid back nature, definitely. It's just very chilled. Um, the lifestyle, obviously. We were by the beaches, northern be- on the northern beaches. Uh, beautiful, beautiful existence, especially with children. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just a, a great way of life. So, why did you leave to go back to London? Oh, I always get asked that, and people are like, what? And especially the English are like, why on earth would you come this way? Because we're always wanting to go the other way and move to Australia. They always fall back to the to the weather. Why would you come to the English weather? Um, well, we're 15 years under our belt and living together there. My husband had spent five years in Europe, so he knew it very well. He's probably traveled more of Europe than I have. Um, and that was before we met. So, so he had that in him of, of the knowledge. So he, he sort of turned around one day, I remember it, on Freshwater Beach, and, uh, and said, you know, you've got the heritage, the girls, have, we've got three children, and the girls have got English passports. Let's use that. You know, we've got such a, it's such a bonus to have this opportunity to be able to go and live on the other side of the world for you know, an indefinite time. There's no pressure or time frame on this just however long we want and um and be able to show the girls the other side of their heritage because they'd never vis- visited Europe or the UK I'd been back once in 15 years so um that was basically it it wasn't for work or anything it was just for the opportunity of seeing the other side of the heritage the culture Europe because it's so far away Australia you just it's so difficult to get over this side so basically that fabulous really. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Do you have a passion for one particular French dish, ingredient, or cooking technique? Add to that, do you have a story to tell? Well, I'd love to hear it, and I'm sure many of our Fabulously Delicious audience would too. So, get in touch, slide into my DMs. Hmm, I've always wanted to say that. On Instagram at Andrew Pryor Fabulously, as I'd love to hear from you, and hopefully have you on fabulously delicious you were when you were in australia an interiors designer but now you work in food how what do you do uh so i was doing interior design in australia and then when i moved it was sort of a natural break in uh i'd lost some passion a little bit for it i've been doing it for 15 years um and the thought of having to retrain and and get up to speed in the uk i just didn't have it in me and uh so I sort of fell into um, food photography because uh, I'd always had a, a DSLR camera um, taking pictures of you know, very basically of, of food and kids and whatnot. And, and, and I was a prop stylist and Instagram was just opening up in 2012. So I was taking photos of that. And, um, and then when I moved back here, it was that crisis of what do I do? <laughs> the life crisis. Um, and so I retrained in food photography did an online course and started that three years ago um and it's gone from there it's been a uh, been brilliant I really loved it so recipe developments as well so I create my own recipes um all specializing in desserts and, and baking and, and whatnot so no savory food um and then started my own website and, and post recipes on there show recipes there 
Um, I also uh, recipe develop for brands and uh, take uh, images for their website or for their social media. So there's lots of varying sort of aspects of what I do. So it's what, yeah, love it. What do you think is the key to being a successful blogger? Oh, I, I don't know if I fall into that bracket yet. <laughs> you do. I've seen what you do and you are and you do make a living from it. I, and please don't say good SEO. I mean, there has to be more to to blogging than just uh, SEO. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, I've only been tapping into that side for the past year. <laughs> um, Some of our listeners won't even know what SEO is. No, so you know. exactly. But what's um, the key? Uh, well, I think it all falls down to firstly your recipes. You know, you're not going to, if you're not going to create good recipes and people aren't going to make them. Uh, but then secondly, and on par with that, I'd say is your food photography because you, you eat with your eyes. So it's it could be the best recipe in the world, easiest recipe for people to follow. But if it looks awful and it doesn't attract, it doesn't attract the, the eyes of your viewers. So they sort of go hand in hand. But, and, you know, over the three years that both those aspects are really developed because I only really started baking properly past sort of eight years with the children at home, some self-taught. Um, but then I've had to really hone it in the past three years and, and develop like base recipes that I can then work off and um, really hone into those skills because it's, you know, sometimes they flop, you know. I look at my, my first recipes and I just cringe. <laughs> I'm like, oh. It is interesting that you bring that up because I was uh... – you know, there are some – I can often get a recipe and it doesn't work. And, you know, there are myriad reasons for that. And, you know, part of that is also that I'm in France and the recipes that I'm getting are probably made for America. Really look into what the recipe's saying and go, well, maybe I don't need to do that anymore. Or if it fly, fails, it might not be you. It could possibly very well be that the recipe just isn't right for where yeah. you are. Um, yeah. You can't, you know, it's hard to boil water when you're up in the Alps. Um, you know, all these little things that you don't get told in a recipe. Some people's recipes are fabulous. You can follow them and it always works. And some people you try it and it never works for you. What's that about? Maybe it is that they're not. They're, maybe they're not even developing them themselves. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Don't know what goes behind on the other side. <laughs> uh, but yeah, maybe they're not. Develop, they're not developing them enough. They make them once or twice and think, yeah, it's great. But they're not considering the end user, um, or there's not enough description in the recipe uh, to help the end user. And I think for me, it's uh, I love that educational aspect that probably go a bit overboard in process shots and descriptions and so I think any everyone's at a different stage in their journey of baking and I want I want somebody who's right at the start to be able to achieve it um so if you're an advanced baker by all means skip those bits but if you're a beginner baker then they might be like well how long do I whisk it and what does it what's it meant to look like when I went to whisk the eggs and sugar for one minute you know it's I think it's just giving as much information as you can so it's Thank you, the end user. How is uh, blogging and and food for your business? How have you, how has it changed in since two thousand and twelve when you started to now? It's nearly ten years, or well, it is ten years. How has it changed over those ten years? Oh well, I wasn't blogging back then, so I've only been blogging for the past three years, um, and I certainly wouldn't say I was a food photographer back ten years ago. Oh, purely, I was a prop stylist and interior designer, so. Um, I, I was working um, with some magazines and uh, 
taking images for my Instagram, but I sort of could see that my images weren't good enough. And that's what made me pick up a camera and go, right, I'm going to teach myself because, you know, the phone was, they were, it was early on in the iPhone um, photography at that point just didn't cut it for me and I could see what professional photography was so I was like okay I'm going to um, teach myself but uh, in terms of Instagram and, and food photography and whatnot it's um, I mean it's been, I would say there's more been a shift the past year hasn't there with uh, food photography and Instagram whereas before it was all about curating beautiful imagery and um, it was all still photo based which I love obviously to me it's like you create your own feed like a magazine or you go onto other people's free feeds to gain that inspiration instead of flicking through magazines you go on instagram garner so much inspiration whereas now it's all videos which i find really sad because i'm not in that world yet and um it's also fast-paced and flicking and uh, you know there's it's lost a little bit of that um that beauty i think and the artistry in still life so, of all your recipes that you've written about, what do you make the most? Probably Madeleine, I would say. Yeah, we love them. And they're so easy. People think they're quite complicated, and actually they're not. Once you know how, they're very quick and easy. You can make the batter the night before, whack it in the fridge, and then if you've got people coming around, literally eight minutes in the oven, and then we've got fresh Madeleine. And they're better eaten fresh, so... Um, and they're easy to travel with or pack in the kids' school lunchboxes or whatever. Yeah. And they rise every time? They rise every time. In get the middle, yes. yes. There's little tricks. You've got to cool that batter. Oh, that's a tip. There they go. Great. <laughs> yeah. Cool the batter in a slightly hotter oven at the start and then reduce it to normal temperature, 180, and that sort of creates the thermal shock. So they rise. Do you want to support Fabulously Delicious, the podcast, and learn more about French food? Then join me and some of the wonderful people cooking it and producing it. Hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, be it Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Emma, on to today's topic, which is uh, all things crepes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with the most important question. Don't worry, I'm not going to judge you much from the answer. Much. Mm. Are you a sugar butter and a squeeze of lemon juice kind of person or are you a Nutella person? Oh, God. No butter. Sugar and lemon. <gasps> First, no butter. Great. Well, I'll be okay with that. I would have had the – I'll have the butter. Um, but I do judge Nutella people. Oh, do you? Yes. Well, that's my children. They love that. Yes. But no, you can't go wrong with sugar. But, you know, I spent my whole life being judged when I was a child, so I've just turned into a bit of a judgy person <laughs> when it comes to crepes. What's in a crepe? What are the ingredients? Oh, simple, simple, simple. It's uh, simple ingredients. Flour, eggs, milk, salt, and then you've got the extras. Uh, well, I always add a bit of water, um, but then you've got the extras if you want to flavour them, which is a bit of sugar or vanilla extract or... Um, my secret ingredients, which I grew up, my mother used to make in her prep, which I've also made. Um, which are you can't just come along. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Tell us, not tell orange, us what the secret ingredient is orange blossom water and orange zest. That transforms them. Right. Okay. How do you make a crepe? Ah, uh, it's basically mixing. Again, so simple. Um, if you're going to make them by hand, you 
mix the dry ingredients together and then mix the wet ingredients separately in a separate bowl. Whisk everything up with the eggs and the milk and um, water. And then uh, the tip to lump-free batter is to slowly add in the wet ingredients into the dry. So you make sort of a slurry first, add in sort of a quarter of the um, wet ingredients into the flour um, and then whisk that up together to make a thick slurry and then gradually add in the remaining and that will guarantee you bump-free batter. Right, okay, all right. Or the simple, 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 simple way is just to put them all in a blender, quick pulse, and it's done. Right, fabulous, in a blender. They didn't have blenders back in their day, though. No, true. So go to school. I mean, I generally always make, unless I'm making a big batch, then I'll do it in a blender. But uh, generally just by hand because it's so quick and easy. Any other tips for making them? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, rest the batter. Okay, like your madeleines? Rest them. So is it yes. a similar sort of uh, concept there? I, I always make the batter the night before, uh, put it in the fridge, cover it up, put it in the fridge, and that basically allows the flour to hydrate um, and the gluten to relax because you've activated the gluten when you've whisked it, um, which can then, if you make it straight away, it can lend itself to making slightly rubbery crap, uh, whereas if you relax the batter and leave it, chill it, um, then it hydrates the flour and it'll sort of ensure you it'll the mixture you'll see will thicken up slightly um instead of being super liquidy it'll go to about cream consistency so you can see that shift um the next day give it a quick whisk and then you're ready to go straight from the fridge okay fabulous yeah you putting your blogger your food photographer hat on um any tips to for our audience on how to present the crepes for taking a photo of them because we all love to take photos of food and put it on instagram yeah um i'd say the most the easiest way is doing the triangular fold you know where you fold but i prefer that to the roll fold in images um they look just a bit prettier you can see the sort of ruffled edges of the crepe and don't overfill them when you're taking the photos um you if you're going to drizzle a sauce on them, for example, like chocolate sauce or, or whatnot, um, don't go overboard with that because you still want to see that they're essentially crap. So you don't want to sort of hide them with your toppings. Right. Now, you say crap and I say crepe. Is that Australian? I don't know. Is this like, <laughs> is, which is crepe? That's how my he husband would say it. Would he say crepe? Right. Yeah. 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 Is the yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we say it all the time. Can I have a crepe, mate? Yeah, exactly. just rolls off the tongue. Um, where do crepes come from? Uh, so the history behind them is that they um, they originate from south. Um, what was it northwest France? Mm-hmm. South northwest France from an area in Brittany, Brittany region. I love Brittany um, and Madonna. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm full of these bad jokes. I do. And it. people listen. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, so, they, so I think they originated back in the 13th century, if I remember rightly. Um, and and I'm not sure if this is a old wives' tale or whatnot, but um, someone spilt some of their batter on an open flat plate and and made this crepe. And so back in those days, they didn't waste food so they ate it and, and it's fabulous so i don't know if that's absolute rubbish it's one of those old wild styles that you sort of read about um but they were initially made with buckwheat so and they still are in uh in Brittany. 
So that lends itself to savoury crap because they don't need to be just sweet. They can be savoury. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So you can have savoury ones as well. Yeah. Um, What's then the difference between a crepe and a galette? Oh, I think they're the same thing, right? Uh, Would the galette be savoury? Well, I think with the ham and cheese and egg. Yes, I think. Yeah. I think the galette is the um, from savory my knowledge. Option. If anybody wants to verify this, just let me know um, in the comments. Send me a DM. Um, I love it when people send me DMs. Um, they get in, they slide into my DMs and go on about crepes. Um, that would be amazing. Um, but no, I think that a crepe is the is with flour and a galette is with buckwheat. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So yes, then, hence the reason why it's savoury would be the the buckwheat would be a galette. Yeah, and the most traditional fittings I think for the buckwheat crepe are uh, sort of ham, cheese, egg. But the fried egg was then they sort of fold in the edges so that you can see the fried egg on the top. So that's my favourite way of eating it. But um, another way is to add caramelised onions and crispy bacon and leeks. Fried them up in a pan with some cheese. That's another firm favourite of ours. The problem with doing this podcast is I always get so hungry. I should not re- I should not time these recordings of the podcast to just be before lunchtime. It's not You know good. what you're going to be eating for dinner. <laughs> I know. Crepes in themselves can actually be an ingredient. So what can you what dishes can you make with crepes? Um you could make a cake <laughs> and a multi-layered one. I've got one hitting my website next week actually uh and there you can fill it with with creme chantilly or just sweetened whipped cream or mascarpone cream or you can turn it into a tiramisu crepe cake by putting some coffee in your whipped cream and mascarpone you know mascarpone as well um so there's endless things fill it with fruit and cream you know you can do anything it's like another version of a birthday cake my kids love it they absolutely love it and uh, I actually found it. I first made one when my daughter turned seven in Australia, and we had family over for uh, breakfast. And I was like, "What am I going to do? I don't want to serve a chocolate sponge birthday cake for you know nine o'clock in the morning." <laughs> it just felt a bit wrong, so I was like, "Okay, I'll make a crepe cake." So I filled it with coffee flavored cream because uh, I was like, "Well, crepe is breakfast, and coffee. Everyone loves a bit of coffee in the morning." Bang! It was a absolute winner, and now every year. Out comes the crepe cake. <laughs> Loves it. Um, but no, if, if you can, obviously you can uh, turn it into savoury and have it with for your dinner, uh, which is always, as we were discussing, you can um, fill it with chicken, all sorts of meats, roll it up, um, use a, a white sauce over the top with some cheese, grill it, put it under the grill. Yeah, so they're versatile. It's uh, also used in a beef wellington. They make a version of a crepe to oh, do they? yeah. So the, oh, wow. the beef Wellington will have the the beef. Um, yeah. Well, sorry, they will, they will make a crepe first, uh, and then put the mushroom. What's the word for the mushroom? Um, I want to say duckwise, but I think that's incorrect. But the where they have the cooked mushrooms, yeah, around up, the top uh, over the over um, the, beef. the crepe, and then they place the meat, the beef on that, and then, then roll, roll it, it up, up, and then they put the pastry around the crepe. I so, because that no that forms a that gives a form um, uh, because obviously the mushroom is already cooked, the beef is pretty you know by searing it or cooking it you yeah. it's giving insulation to the beef so that it yeah. doesn't overcook. Yeah, that's why the crepes on there um, yeah, for yeah. that. 
You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. If you'd like to support the making of Fabulously Delicious, then there are many ways you can do this. But one of those ways is through Patreon, the link of which is in the show notes for this episode. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can receive exclusive content just for you. So check it out. I'm sure you will enjoy. And also, it's a way of you supporting me and the podcast and more fabulous French foodies. So what better thing to do than support Fabulously Delicious by becoming a Patreon member? So you mentioned before about adding flavorings. So adding orange and orange blossom, like would you add that to a normal crepe or would that just be for like a crepe Suzette? No, if you, no, no, not just a crepe Suzette. Uh, so for your basic crepe, you don't need any flavoring apart from a little bit of sugar to sweeten it. So if you, you can make normal crepe and omit the sugar and then have it for the savory dish, or you can add a little bit of sugar to sweeten it. Um, but if you want to add in vanilla extract or an almond extract, if you you can put a little bit of almond flour as well into the crepe, so get that little almond taste, um, and then you can put in either any zest, lime, lemon, orange, uh, to flavour it. And often I'll squeeze an orange juice, produce the orange into the crepe batter as well. Continue on with the flavour. What's your favourite way to eat crepes? Uh, sweet, always. Massive sweet too. <laughs> That's why I love what I do. <laughs> and what do you drink with them? Um, and what do I what do I drink with them? Well, I'm not much of a coffee drinker, even though we do own a coffee business. <laughs> and I drink a huge amount. Uh, so a good old English breakfast cup of tea in the morning, because uh, we don't we we're, it's not a special occasion thing for us to have crepe here. We make them so regularly, so um, just I've always I'll always put the orange zest and orange blossom, which gives a really beautiful fragrance um, and also fragrant taste to it. It's yeah, if you haven't tried it, you've really got to try orange blossom. Um, and then uh, either a little drizzle of Nutella. I know, I know, don't charge, but you know, chocolate and orange, so good. <laughs> and uh, or just a sprinkle of sugar and lemon juice and. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> so we used to, because we travelled so much. This, you know, forget the store-bought snacks or whatever. Uh, a Tupperware box filled with crepe was our plain food that my mother would always make. So a little sprinkle of sugar, which would nothing else. Just a sprinkle of sugar, which uh, with the sort of moisture from the crepe would make, turn it into a syrup um, over a couple of hours, and that's what we ate. And uh, yeah. Still do it to this day with my kids. I've got Devon sandwiches. Thanks, <laughs> Mum. That's great. Yeah. Um, Emma, it's been fabulous chatting with you. Uh, before you go, please tell us where can we find more about Emma Duckworth? Well, uh, on my website, um, www.emmaduckworthbakes.co.uk. Um, I've also written a baking dessert book which uh, did during COVID and it published at the beginning of the year. So it's, um, I'll show you a little picture of the cover. Wonderful. Oh, Simply it's Sweet called, Nostalgic uh, Bakes. Yeah, Simply okay. Sweet Nostalgic Bakes. So 55 recipes in there, um, all harking back to 
recipes that um, will hopefully evoke a lot of memories, just classics with a sort of flavour twist. Well, I will put um, information and links in the show notes for this episode uh, about both your website and the book. Uh, before you go, the question I ask everybody that's been on Fabulously Delicious, Emma, what to you is the most fabulous thing about France? Oh, the culture. Definitely. Just the, the sort of, oh, I find that with French culture, there's the, the artistry in what they do and how they live their life. It's uh, it's always, it's well thought out. It's, it's um beautifully done whether it's creating their meals and, and finishing off how they look um, the art of long lunches and community and that at that lunch you know many a lunch at my grandmother's table that just went on for hours because that's the main meal of the day um, and uh, the pride they take in their food yeah Fabulous. Well, Emma, it's been an absolute pleasure talking all things crepes with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on Fabulously Delicious. And I can't wait uh, to get your book and try some of your delicious recipes. Thank you. Thank you, Emma, for joining us on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you. Bye. Merci beaucoup. Hello. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.